It is so good to be here with you today. Um, super excited to be here. Uh, like Stephen said, my name is Jesse Hack. I am uh, originally from the state of Iowa, uh, but I'm super happy to, to be here with you guys this morning. I am uh, a member at Woodside Baptist Church, which is a church over on the west side of Greenville, the West End, similar to where your guys' home base is, and I'm super excited. When, when Marty asked me to come and speak with you guys, I was just... Um, Super, super excited about coming and, and getting to worship with you guys. Um, so, so eager, in fact, that I was coming up a few songs earlier. So, um, super happy to be here. Uh, if you would, uh, flip your Bibles. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Um, and, guys, I am stoked. I am so incredibly excited to see what the Lord has to say through this passage to all of us this morning, myself included. And, um, I'm going to pray for us here, and then I'm going to read the word one more time. And I just want to, I just want everybody in the room to, to consider what the Lord has for you today. What does the Lord have to say to you? Um, so, as we as we open up God's word, I just want all of us to to consider what the Lord wants to do in our hearts, in our minds, in our life, and how He wants us to to serve Him and to love Him more. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we'll we'll get into God's word. Father, Lord, we are so incredibly grateful to be here this morning. We're so incredible, incredibly grateful, Father, to, to be able to open up your word, to hear from the Spirit of God, the living word, Lord, that is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we pray that through the preaching of your word today, Lord, you'd hide me behind the cross. God, I pray that you, your words would be heard and any word from me, Lord, that um, is not from you, Lord, I pray that it would be ignored. I pray that it wouldn't be heard, but God, I pray that you would speak to your people this morning here at Pendleton Street Baptist. God, I pray that you would uh, use this message, Lord, to further your kingdom, further your, your kingdom through the local body here at Pendleton Street. God, I pray that you would work in the hearts and minds of these people today, Lord, that so you may be glorified, Lord, and that so your name may be lifted high, and Father, so that people will come to know you. People will come to know you in a, in a greater uh, with a greater intimacy, those who are in this room today, that people will come to know you, but Lord, also those who are outside these walls, those who are in the community uh, near Pendleton Street Baptist Church. Lord, I just pray that you will, will, will reach those people, and Lord, that you'll use this sermon to, to further your kingdom. Uh, Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and the, the title of today's sermon um, is identify with Christ. It's an imperative. It's a command. Identify with Christ. We're going to get into what that means. We're going to look at um, what Paul means here in the book of Colossians and what Paul meant through all of his letters when, he, when we talk about identifying with Christ. And when we, when we look at this, I want us to, to focus the word identify. kind of has two meanings. All right? So when, when we think of identify, we think of like, okay, I got an ID. That's a little piece of plastic where I can identify that I am Jesse Hack. Um, I can identify that I am uh, a U.S. citizen. I can pull my passport out. I can say I am in the United States. I am a U.S. citizen. That's where I find my citizenship. I find my identity as a United States citizen. That's part of who I am, right? Well, church, we need to identify with Christ. We need to, we need to be able to pull something out, right? We need, we need to be able to to demonstrate before other people, before Christ and before other people, right, that we identify not just with Christ, okay, but in Christ. 
Right? So that's going to be the main focus of today's message and what that means. We need to find identity in Christ as a recipient of God's grace, that we receive God's grace, but we also need to think of ourselves as representatives of Christ. Right? That we are not only recipients of God's grace, but that we are also instruments of God's grace. To be used by God to take His grace, to build His kingdom, and to, to be His sons, be His daughters, to go and demonstrate what it looks like to be in Christ, to represent Him as we go out. All right? So that's, that's really the, the, the central focus of today's message. Um, so I'm going to read our passage one more time, and I want us to think about that. What does it mean to identify as a Christian, to, to identify as someone who is in Christ, that concept of being in Christ, all right? Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, death, you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Alright? So, again, taking that idea of identifying with Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ, His kingdom, His people. Um, just want to take a quick poll. I love doing little polls. Um, who in here, just raise your hand, who in here has ever been part of a team? Maybe it's a sports team, maybe it was part of a, a band, maybe it was part of some sort of team. You were a team unit, Right? Raise your hands, raise your hands. Anybody? Yeah? All right, so we know what it means. We can all resonate a little bit with what it means to be part of something that is bigger than us. A movement that is bigger than us, right? We've been part of a movement uh, that has a mission, right? A movement that has a mission and a a team that has an identity. Um, You can think about your local mascot. When high school, I I was part of a pretty small high school. My graduating class was 50 people, so... Um, all of us had to play all the sports. So I played four sports for four years. I was an athlete all year round. Um, and our athletic director, uh, a man who I absolutely love and adore, uh, his name is Coach Wilkin, and he instilled in all of us, whether we were playing football, whether we were playing basketball, track, baseball, whatever it was, he would say certain things like this. He'd say, when you choose to act like a fool, which sometimes I often did, He would say, you aren't just representing the name on the back of your jersey. You are representing the name on the front of your jersey as well. So make sure you represent Newell Fonda, my school, well. Make sure you're representing not just the name on the back of your jersey, but the name on the front of your jersey. And that's kind of important. I want us to think about that. The name on the front of your jersey. When we think about who we represent, when we think about when we're walking out and we're, we're living life, you're representing something. You're at least representing your own last name. You're representing your family. You're representing your parents as you go out. You're representing the leadership that is above you, your school, your teachers, all those things. You're representing something wherever you go. It's not a choice. It just happens. You are representing something, church. Whether you're a believer or not, in this room, you are representing something. Your family, your people, something. So consider, you automatically have the name on the back of your jersey, but what name is on the front of your jersey? Who are you living for? Keep that in mind. Um, So, as we we get into Colossians, all right, 
We're, we're in Colossians chapter 3, and uh, Marty finished up Colossians chapter 2, I believe, here recently. And as we, as we consider um, what's going on with Paul, so Paul the Apostle, uh, he's going and he, he wrote this letter to the Colossian church, and he's trying to correct them of a few different things that the church was struggling with. One of them was that they were believing there was this heresy, or they were believing this false teaching. They were believing a false teaching that essentially um, you needed Christ and something else. You needed Jesus plus something. And that plus something for the Colossian church was you needed Jesus and these rituals, these religious rituals which were going to save you from these demonic forces, these demonic influences, right? So they were, they were rep- God was represented at the Colossian church, but they, they sort of had like a, a logo on the side, right? They were like, I'm, re- I'm going to represent Christ, but they had something else on their badge, right? Something else on their shoulder. They were representing Christ, but they also needed something else. They were in idolatry. They were worshiping something other than the name that rightly deserves to be on the front of all of our jerseys, which is Christ, who we ought to find our true identity in, in Christ. Um, So, looking at at Colossians here, if Christians are to identify with Christ in His death, we're supposed to identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Just as Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected, so we ought to die to our old self, be raised with Christ. Um, Christians are not supposed to trust in spiritual rituals and practices. Rather, like these Colossians were struggling with, rather, Christians are to trust in the work of Christ and live as transformed representatives, representatives of God's kingdom. We're all born in a state of sin with no with no title on the front of our jersey. Everyone is seeking something. Everyone's born with, with their name on the back of their jersey, and their jersey is in a state of sin. Everyone is, everyone is born in a state of sin. And as we walk through life, we have to decide, what are we going to represent? Who are we going to identify with? And I want to encourage you, church, as we get into this, I want to encourage you today. Whether you're a believer and have been for 70 years, or whether you uh, are just visiting this church for the first time today, I want you to understand that you were designed by your Creator God to live representing His Son, Jesus Christ. And He rightly deserves to have His name on the front of your jersey. He rightly deserves to have His name on the front of your jersey. That's how you were designed. To live in relationship with your Creator through His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, So, the context of this book is... as as Marty's been preaching through First uh, and Second Colossians, we know that Paul wrote to this church to show that Christ is preeminent. It's a word we never use in our normal language, preeminent. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that word in a, in a gas station. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that word at school, preeminent. You don't hear that word, right? But it means completely superior. Completely superior. Supreme. Above all things. Jesus reigns as king over this world, over this universe, over your life, whether he is on the front of your jersey or not. Whether you're living for Christ and whether Christ is actually your king, it doesn't matter. Christ is king. Christ will win in the end. He has already won. He has, he has paid the penalty for sin. He's defeated death. And one day he's going to return the second time and he's going to judge the entire world. God's team if you want to be on God's team, if you want to wear God's jersey, 
It's a good idea because God's team will win in the end. He's going to win in the end. He's already won. He's already beat death. He's already beat evil. He's going to destroy it. And when he comes back, we will be on one of two teams. You're either on God's team or you're on the rest. There's many other names you can put on the front of your jersey. But only one team will live with God in peace forever. And that's, that's God's team. So, again, Paul was teaching that Christ is preeminent. He is above all things. Christ is the center of it all. He is the fulfillment of all things and the foundation of our faith. Um, one theme that we see very commonly throughout the book of Colossians is that Christ is the mystery. He is the mystery that unites both the Jews and the Gentiles. Because the, God's team in the Old Testament was, and God represented, and, and, or excuse me, God demonstrated his love and gave promises, covenants to the Jewish people. Right, but as we, as we enter into the New Testament, God's covenants, his, his promises to his people opened up and the Gentiles, all the rest of humanity, all people are now grafted into the promises that were given to the Jewish people. Right, so, so God's promises, God's offering to be on his team is available for everybody. If you're in the room today, God wants you to be on his team. He wants you. And you have a purpose to be on his team. If you are on God's team, you have a purpose. God has gifted every single person in this world with certain spiritual gifts. And you can either train, you can, you can grow in those gifts, you can go to practice, and you can, you can lift, and you can, you can grow in those gifts that God has given you and use them to represent the Lord, or you can waste them. And you can live for another name on the front of your jersey. Paul said it this way. He said in Colossians 1, he said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Think, think of Paul as a team captain. Only Christ is coach. Only Christ is king. But Paul was a great leader. A great leader. One to follow. One to revere. Paul told all the other Christians that he was ministering to in many of his letters, he said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ is king. Christ is preeminent. Yet Paul was a great example to those before him. Paul, think of Paul as a team captain. Right? So, so Paul suffered. He said, now I rejoice in my sufferings. He is, he is a great model to follow. Rejoice in your sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings that in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known great, make His name great among the Gentiles for the riches of His glory and this mystery, which is Christ in you. The mystery. The beauty of the Gospel. The entire Bible. Old and New Testament. Everything finds its fulfillment in Christ. Everything. All of the prophets, all of... The, all of Jewish history finds its fulfillment in Christ. They were all, all the Jews were looking forward to a coming Savior. They didn't have all the details mapped out, and some of them confused Jesus to not be the Messiah. And that's why Jews still practice um, Judaism today, and they don't recognize Jesus as the true Messiah. But He is. He is. He is the preeminent one. All things find their fulfillment in Christ. So the Jews were looking forward. They had the true revelation of God, 
and Jews today have missed that Jesus is actually coach, that Jesus is control of all things. And we look back. We look back to what Christ has done, and we find our fulfillment in Christ as well. Identify with Christ. Church, you are both a recipient of God's grace. You receive it. Amen. That's where we find our identity as a Christian, but it doesn't stop there. We are not just recipients of God's grace. We are also instruments of God's grace. Meant to take what God has done for us, live in that joy, in that peace, in that solitude. And yet, we live in a sinful world and it's hard. So we need to take this hope that we have and be an instrument of God's grace and take it as an active team member, growing as a player, and take that, be an instrument of God and take God's message to God's people to go share his message with the lost, to seek and save that which is lost. That is why Christ came. So he wrote to to correct these things. He wrote to correct the Colossian heresy. He said in Colossians 2, verse 23, he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom, all these traditions that they were putting their hope in, these rituals, like the Colossians were, they were living their life and they were saying, well, yeah, Jesus is good, but like these rituals, these rituals are really going to save me from these demonic influences, these demonic powers. I'm going to find my hope in something else other than Jesus. So they stepped to the side. They found their hope in something else. They saw, they found their fix, they found their solution in something other than their identity in Christ. They stepped away. We have to find our identity in Christ as both a recipient and an instrument of God's grace. Because you receive fulfillment in Christ and you find purpose in Christ. So many Christians, church, so many Christians find their identity as a recipient, sure, right? But then we lack the passion and the purpose of being an instrument of God's grace. You're on a team. You are on a team. You're on the big team of Christ's big C church, right? But also, as I'm visiting this local team right here, Pendleton Street Baptist Church is a team. And you're led by your team captain, Marty Price, who's a great man of God. And he is directing this church, this body, to serve and to lead and to be both recipients and instruments of God's grace. That's our purpose. So identify with Christ. Paul talked about this, not just in the book of Colossians, but throughout the, entire, the entirety of his epistles, his letters. The book of Romans, I'm going to read this because I, I think Scripture can say it far better than I can. Paul talked about death. All people died in Adam. All people. Sin has corrupted everything. It's destroyed our lives. Because of sin, we are separated from the Holy God. The Holy One God, whose Son is Jesus Christ. And just as we die in Adam, the only way to find life is in Christ. Paul said it this way, and I'm just going to read it. In Romans chapter 5, verses 12-21, through Paul says this, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, 
And Adam was a type, a representative of who was going to eventually come, which is Christ. But the free gift is not like the sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, through one man's sin, all died in Adam's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The grace of God is greater than sin and death. It is greater than all evil. The the grace of God brings restoration to all things. Jesus makes dead things alive. We just celebrated that recently, didn't we? We just celebrated Easter. We celebrated the fact that Jesus brings life to dead things, including us. We are all dead. With no name on the front of our jersey, we are all dead. And any other name than Christ on the front of our jersey, we are dead. Only when we are in Christ, when we have died to our old self and found new life in Christ, chosen Him above all things, and surrendered to our old life, that is the only time in which we can actually find true fulfillment. Verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, death for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, salvation, and life for all men. That is the act of righteousness that Jesus displayed before us. He lived a righteous life and died the death that we deserve, that you deserve, on the cross so that you could find fulfillment in Christ, be on God's team, be loved by our coach, and be sent and commissioned by our coach. When we look at the theological principle here, what does it mean to be in Christ? You see, Jesus transformed and fulfilled what it meant to be in the nation of Israel. See, Israel had to follow the law. They had to, he, Israel had to, to do all these righteous things. They had to fulfill all 613 laws and the Ten Commandments. They had to follow all these rules. And no one ever could. It was impossible. It's impossible for you to do enough good things to attain righteousness. You are dead in your sin. I am dead in my sin without Christ. But Christ fulfilled all those things. The nation of Israel was told, you must be completely righteous. And when you're not, you're going to have to shed the blood of bulls and goats. But what we're told in the New Testament is that the blood of bulls and goats and doves and grain offerings and all these things we can do to try to cover our sin, they don't work. They just don't work. Sin can only be forgiven. Sin can only be forgiven through Christ. And sin can only be paid for if you pay for it or if Christ pays for it. It's one or the other. There are some things in Christianity where there's, it's kind of black and gray and white. Sure, there's kind of like a spectrum. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to those who are in Christ and those who are of the world, it is black and white, church. You are either in Christ, completely purified of your sin, or you are in sin, completely separated from God. It's one or the other. And that sounds harsh, maybe. But the truth, the truth is love. If, if people don't share the truth, it's not very loving. So to be in Christ is to be reunited with our Creator through His Son, through His one singular plan of redemption, Jesus, who fulfilled the law. He lived without sin. He is the Savior, Son, sent by God to redeem all sin in this world. All those who are... Who, choose to be in Christ will be in Christ 
if you choose to, to repent, to turn away from your sin and turn to God, to identify as a Christian the rest of your life, you will be saved. You will be. It's a promise. And that looks like joining God's team. In, at Woodside, we've, we started a, a youth ministry this year, uh, which we hadn't had in a while. And praise the Lord, we've seen some fruit. We've seen some real, really good fruit. From, from Students from our neighborhood have come. We've reached about 30 students or so. We have about 15 to 20 that come weekly. And it's been so rewarding. And this is what we communicate every single week to them. It's simple, but it's true. We must join God's team. And to join God's team looks like full commitment. We need to take the commitment of, of joining God's team, the commitment of joining the church, the commitment of following Jesus, even more seriously than we take marriage. Take marriage seriously, absolutely. But we need to take that decision incredibly seriously, church. When you join God's team, there's no going back. And that's a beautiful thing because we are secured in Christ. So to join God's team looks like full commitment. Jesus is your king. He's your coach who you obey no matter what. When we decide to be on God's team, we follow him. God's team will always win and good players lead by example. Point number one as we really enter into the text here, now that we know kind of have a better understanding of what it looks like to be in Christ. You're either in Christ or you're still in the world. It's black and white. You're either dead in your sin because of the sin of Adam or you've chosen to place your trust and faith in Christ, chosen to repent of your sin, turning towards Him, and you are identifying as a Christian in Christ forever. You are secured in Christ. It's one or the other. So now that we have a firm grasp on that, we're going to enter the text here. As we look at... uh, Colossians 3, verse 1. If then, if then you truly have been raised with Christ, you truly are in Him, He tells us, Paul tells us to seek. It's a command. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you've got your notes open and they aren't filled, um, point number one, we are transformed by God when we are in Christ. When you're in Christ, you are transformed. You're different. Your nature will change. Your sinful nature that is natural to all people will be transformed. When we look at the entirety of Scripture and we look at what it means to be transformed, changed, sanctified, set apart, holy, there's really three tenses of that. There's past tense, present tense, and future tense. So church, if you are in Christ, or if you want to be in Christ, right, Those who are in Christ have been transformed. So either you have evidence in your life where you've been transformed, or you don't have evidence in your life that you've been transformed. You need to figure that out. You need to to take some deep reflection in, "Am am I actually transformed? Or am I just living the faith of my parents? Am I am I actually transformed or am I just kind of going through the motions because I like the people at church and I, they're my friends. What's going on? Have you been transformed? The second one is present. You're being transformed. Nobody's perfect, right? Once you've been transformed, that doesn't mean you're perfect at all. 
But once you've been transformed, the Holy Spirit is within you. And you will continually be chastened by God. You will continually be transformed. Right? So you, you will have repented and turned from your sin and be in Christ, fully transformed. But yet, we still struggle with sin in this world, this, this tension of the already saved but not yet completely saved because we live in this world full of sin. So you, you must continually be transformed. Going to the Father, asking Him. We confess, 1 John 1 9, we confess our sins before the Father, right? And He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the third tense is future tense. Because we live in this state of sin, we're not yet completely transformed. We still struggle with that already not yet tension. One day is coming when Jesus Christ will return and God's team will reign above all things. God will judge all those who are not on His team, who have chosen not to take the free gift, the free salvation that is offered through His Son. So when Christ comes, we will finally and fully be transformed in Jesus. And our future is completely secured and we will reign with Christ in eternity and I cannot wait for that day. I'm serious. I get giddy. I'm not making a... Like, I'm serious. To be fully transformed where we no longer struggle with sin in our lives, where we no longer have pain and suffering. We are in Christ, and we continue to be in Christ forever. We, we are secured in Him. So even in, even in this already not yet tension, where we live in this state where we're saved, but we still live in a world of sin, you're in Christ, so you are secured. And because you're in Christ and you're secured, you will be secured at His coming. And you will fully be transformed forever and you will live on the new earth with Christ for eternity. The new heavens and the new earth in Revelation. It's, it's beautiful. So we share in the spiritual resurrection. right? We've been spiritually resurrected and transformed in Christ. But one day we will be glorified with Christ in new resurrected physical bodies. To be made more holy is to be transformed from our sinful disposition. Right, so what does it mean to be holy? Yes, there's the, the ethical thing, but there's an ethical con- uh, concept and definition of holiness where you do things that are better. There's an ontological, which is a big word. All that means is being, part of your being. Right? Ontology is the study of being, which is confusing to me. But like, ont- it, it basically just means that you've truly been transformed completely. Right? When we think of holiness throughout the Scriptures... It doesn't just mean you start acting better. Holiness means to be set apart. To be set apart from the world in our, our gross, grotesque, evil, sinful state and to be set apart being made alive in Christ. We have been made holy. We are being made holy. And we will one day be made holy in Christ. It is a categorical shift not an ethical or ontological change because man cannot ethically or ontologically change himself. You cannot do it. Only through the transformative power and regenerative presence of the Holy Spirit can someone be set apart, made holy for God and by God. Salvation is not a work of man, but a moment of God. God moves his people categorically. He shifts them. He transitions them from a state of depravity into a state of holiness. It's the power of God that saves God moves people categorically from death to life. He rescues his people from the power of sin and death in Adam and transforms them by his spirit, placing them in Christ by the power of faith 
listen to this, by the power of faith and repentance. Repentance means to turn away. With my students on Wednesday nights, I say, what does repentance mean? And they go, to turn away from sin and turn to God. That's a great definition. Simple, concise, clear. To turn away from our present state of sin and to turn towards God. It involves a turning, a forsaking. Point number two. In Christ, disciples seek godly things because disciples seek Jesus. What are you seeking? When you think about your life, your day-to-day life, what are you seeking? What are you placing your faith and your hope in? You see, to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. Jesus did not die so that people would be converted. Right? When we think about the Great Commission, the Great Commission says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, Jesus, unto Jesus. He says, go therefore and make disciples. He doesn't say make converts. He doesn't say make people who are just transformed. Don't just make recipients of God's grace. That's not, that's not, just, that's not the only mission. We're called to make disciples. Disciples are those who receive God's grace, find their identity and their worth in Christ, and they are also instruments. We reflect God's glory. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun, we are to reflect the light of the sun. We're to reflect God's glory as a recipient and as a sender, as an instrument of God's grace. That is you. That's not the pastor. That's not the staff at the church. That's you. That's your kids. As they go to public school, they are instruments of God's grace as well. They are first and foremost recipients, absolutely, but they are instruments of God's grace. So raise your kids to be instruments of God's grace. Start them young. They're capable. Jesus died for his disciples, both past, present, and future. All those who were following him before he died, when he died, and all of us now today after he has passed and been resurrected and ascended on high. Jesus did not die for cultural converts. He didn't. Jesus' blood does not atone for the sin of those who just play church. Jesus died for his disciples, past, present, future. Not for cultural converts, passive, apathetic, and flaky. To be in Christ is an active concept. It's not passive. How can you grow? This cuts me to the heart too. This cuts me to the heart to think, how am I passive, apathetic, flaky? How am I not reflecting God's grace? Am I only receiving it and doing my own thing, finding comfort that I'm a believer? Am I reflecting the light of the sun? Are you reflecting the light of the sun? When Jesus was talking to his disciples, this is, this is I don't use the term normally, but uh, if you could consider like a, a favorite verse, a life verse. I remember when I, this is the moment um, in high school, my junior year, I was reading this verse, and the Lord made it clear. Black and white. There's no gray. There's no, yeah, I'm a Christian, but. There's no, yeah, Jesus is on my jersey, but. He made it clear. Jesus was talking to disciples, and he said this. Listen, this is Jesus' words. 
If anyone would come after me, be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? It's death. You must die to your old self. Die and be made alive in Christ. And we see that here. When Paul says, set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 3. Verse 3 of Colossians 3, right? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden, it's secured. That, that word hidden has more of a, it's a secure, like a treasure. It is secured. It's hidden in Christ with God. It's not, I'm a recipient of God's grace, and I'm not an instrument because I'm hiding my own faith. That is not what that verse means. If you're made alive in Christ, you are both a recipient and an instrument of God's grace. And that's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. But it's also a mandate. It's a command. That is something we must obey. We are told that the greatest of all commandments, Jesus said, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the things, all the, all the requirements for righteousness in the Old Testament that Christ fulfilled, all of it hangs on loving Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said that if you love me, you will what? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will abide in Christ. You will be in me. Christ is our safety boat. I go and fish in Alaska. And some of those storms are scary. To be honest with you. 12-foot seas on a 32-foot long boat when you're going sideways and you're trying to cook a pancake and it just goes off. You know, like Not great times all the time. It's fun. And it's scary. When we think about living in a state of sin, when we think about living out of relationship with our Creator, where that hole in our heart is not filled, we are on stormy seas, church. Stormy seas. And Christ is the only lifeboat. I've heard, I'm, gonna, I'm kind of running a little bit over time for a second, but I'm, I'm going to finish up shortly. I used to, I used to always hear this expression, and I love it. We have to preach not only the grace of God, that God is good, that God loves you, all these things, right? But we also have to preach and share the bad news. The good news is that Christ came and died for us and is going to save us from our sin. But the bad news is that wrath is coming. Punishment is coming. And if you're not on God's team, you will be punished. And when we minimize God's wrath, when we say the, sto- the seas really aren't that stormy, it's more, like, it's more like you're in a kiddie pool, right? And this Savior, he's really, really great. When we emphasize God's grace, his, the goodness of God, and that him as the rescuer, it's like telling somebody that they're going to send the Coast Guard to somebody who's drowning in a kiddie pool. What's the point? Just pop the kiddie pool. Pull the guy out. It's not that big a deal. Who cares? That's what our culture thinks. Our culture thinks that sin's really not that big a deal. When we minimize the wrath of God, we minimize the grace of God. And we can't do that. 
We absolutely cannot do that. We take away from God's goodness when we take away from His justice. We are in stormy seas when we are not in Christ. And Christ is the only lifeboat. He is the only helicopter that can come in and drop two men who you know, can swim like dolphins and save you. That is the state of our sin. The third point is that disciples naturally dwell on the things of God because the Holy Spirit is leading them. When we are in Christ, today in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, when we are in Christ, Christ has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us, He's in our hearts, and He leads us, He guides us, He comforts us, He teaches us in the ways of righteousness, in the ways of God. So when Paul said in verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, If you are in Christ, that ought to happen naturally. Now, you're still going to struggle with sin, right? Because we have been transformed if we're in Christ. But if you're in Christ, you're still going to struggle with sin. Right? You're still going to struggle with, well, I'm being transformed. I need to get better. Like like when you're on a team, you join the team. Right? But you've got to get better. You've got to get more reps in. You've got to go to practice. You've got to go to weightlifting. I'm thinking of athletics. You've got to go to band practice, right? You've got to do all these things to get better. But you're on the team. You're secured. Your name's on the roll. Jesus is on the front of your T-shirt or on the front of your, your jersey, right? But you have to grow. And that's why we gather as a local church, as a local body, because this is one of God's many teams in Greenville. So disciples naturally dwell on the things of God because the Holy Spirit is leading them. All growth begins with meditation and worship. So what are you meditating on? Not on Sunday morning, but Thursday at 6 p.m. Dinner, maybe? Okay, 7.30. What are you thinking about? What are you dwelling on? I'm not being a legalist here, and I'm not saying you have to open your Bible every single night, and you gotta, 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 gotta. No. But what do you enjoy dwelling on? Because the gospel is both a command, you must obey the gospel, right? And uh, I think I have it right here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians, Jesus gives a warning, or Paul gives a warning to the Thessalonian church, and he says, you must obey the gospel because the wrath of God is coming. You must join God's team because God's punishment and wrath is coming. It's a command to obey the gospel. But it's also a pleasure. And we need to live in the pleasure and enjoy the pleasure. Just like in a family, you enjoy obeying your parents, I hope, right? Because they, they have a plan for your life. They, they know what's good for you. So I hope that you enjoy obeying your parents. Yeah, guys, maybe not, maybe not. Right? I hope you enjoy obeying your parents because it's a joy, but it's also a, it's also a command. It's the same with the Father, with our Heavenly Father. So what are you dwelling on? Disciples of Christ, they effortlessly set their mind on the things of God because it comes naturally. It comes naturally because the Spirit of God is guiding them and leading them to do so. That Holy Spirit who is with you, He guides you in that. And if you're not there, if you're not in a place where it feels natural to to follow the, the, the ways of the Lord, Let me encourage you with this. You cannot grow in relationship and intimacy with God by trying harder. 
You can't grow in relationship and intimacy with God by praying longer, by reading more, by sinning less, attending more, or by any other means. You can only grow in intimacy with God when you give up. When you give up, when you lay your life down. I'm talking to Christians right now, and I'm talking to non-Christians right now. If you're in a place where you're just not in relationship with God right now, and it's just really hard to connect with Him, prayer feels like a burden, I've been there. I think we've all been there. And And intimacy with God returns, and it comes for the first time, when you give up, when you surrender to Him, and you acknowledge that He is coach, when He is king of your life. Practice becomes a lot easier when it becomes less about you, the individual player, and it becomes about the team. Everyone who's been on a team, that kind of resonated there for a second, didn't it? When it stops being about you and it becomes about the team and you play for the coach because you love the coach and I'm going to press in and I'm going to run that extra mile, I'm going to play those extra 30 minutes, I'm going to start every single game, I'm going to give all my effort because I love the team and I love the coach. That's where we ought to be. So freedom in Christ comes to comes through surrender to the king. Freedom in Christ comes through repentance, turning away from your sin, turning away from that life that's all about you, all about all these things that you're chasing that aren't Christ. When you play for the name that's on the front of your jersey, that's where you find fulfillment. That's where you receive grace as a recipient and where you become an instrument of God's grace. And then you begin to lead other people. You become that team captain. You're leading other people. And you start to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is discipleship, church. That's discipleship. That's how you ought to lead your kids. That's how we ought to lead in our Sunday school classes. That's how we ought to lead as a teacher in the school system, which is, I know, hard. That's where we ought to lead, and that's how we ought to live at work. In all of our contexts, all of your individual contexts, that's how we ought to live. So when we decide to submit to Jesus as our, as our rightful king and have faith in his sacrificial atonement on the cross and his bodily resurrection from the, excuse me, from his bodily resurrection from the grave, freedom comes when we forsake all things for the sake of Christ, and freedom comes when we decide to place all of our trust and faith in the founder and the perfecter of our faith. That is when freedom comes. So church, I I pray that this message convicts your hearts. I pray that it hurts a little bit. It hurts me. Seriously. I pray that it cuts a little bit, and I pray that you truly start to reflect, am I on God's team? How do I need to, how do I need to like get back in the game? How do I get off the bench? Because I've been on the bench for a while. I have not been living in intimacy with the Father. Church, it comes through surrender. I want to encourage you, encourage you with that today. All right? It comes through surrender to the King when you give up and stop trying to make it all happen yourself. So as we close here, um, I just want to pray for you guys. I want to encourage you uh, in every one of you guys' bulletins. Uh, there's four questions that are in there. You can read them. You can go ahead, but... I want to read especially the last two. I want you to consider these things throughout the week. As you're going forth and you're, you're considering where you're at on God's team, like, where am I at? How do I need to 
to follow the Lord with greater passion? How do I need to be both a recipient of God's grace and an instrument of God's grace? How can I be a better team member? How can I love the team and love the coach with more passion? How can I do that? I want you to, the third question, I want you to identify three earthly things that you feel the Lord wants you to stop seeking. What are you seeking that's not helpful to the kingdom of God? And then identify three ways that you can better seek the Lord in the things that are above where Christ is. How can you better represent the name on the front of your jersey? How can you do that? I'm going to pray for us. I want to bow your heads and we're going to ask the Lord that he would use this message to convict our hearts throughout the entire week and uh, cause change and transform us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you for the transformative power of your gospel. God, we thank you that you have transformed us as believers. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity as non-believers to be transformed by you. Lord, I pray for every single soul in this room. God, I pray that you will work in their hearts, work in their minds, God. And Lord, I ask that you would encourage them to work and to, to serve and to love you out of a desire, out of a genuine desire to play for the name on the front of their jersey. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts and minds to, to love you, to, to obey your commandments out of joy. Father, I don't know what all these people are dealing with, but I just pray that you would call them unto yourself, that you would disciple them, that you would inspire them to live worthy of the calling, worthy of the calling that you have put in each and every one of their lives, to be both a recipient of your grace, to be a, to be a son of the Most High, to be a daughter of the Most High, because God, that's, that's your heart towards us. So Lord, I pray that people would see that, that they would be a recipient of your grace, that they would receive your grace warmly. Lord, but then as they grow, Lord, and are transformed by your gospel, I pray that they would be instruments of your grace, that they'd be encouraged by the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, so that you may be glorified. Not so that we may feel better, but God, we want to play for our coach. We want to love you, Lord. thank you for this, this time. Lord, thank you for what you're doing at Pendleton Street Baptist Church. God, I pray that you'll continue the work in and through these saints this morning. God, I pray that as they, are, as they go out and they are sent, Father, I pray that you'll just be with them and you'll uh, encourage them to identify with Christ. That they'd have a greater understanding moving forward as they meditate on your word this week of what it means to be in Christ. That it is black and white. And Lord, I, I pray that anyone struggling with sin or struggling with something in their life that they would they trust the leadership here at this church Lord that they would they'd feel free to go and talk with them Lord that before they leave if the Lord if, if you are working on their hearts right now in this moment God I pray that they would not leave this building Lord before they reach out to someone they know can help to someone they know who can help Lord to, to a leader to a friend here in the front, so I just pray that you would work in their hearts, God, and I pray that you will um, be glorified uh, through, through their life and their testimony. We pray in Jesus' name.